everyone. Welcome to the Renaissance Project, a Black girls movement. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and I'm thrilled to have you join me on this journey of liberation and conversation. Hi, family, and welcome to episode two of series two, the story of my life. Um, I'm your hostess with the mostest, Chase Clark, and today we are starting this one a bit differently than the last one. First, I just want to start by saying that sometimes being black is pretty hard. Don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Some days. Some days. Um, In one one instance that happened pretty timely, actually, um, Amanda Gorman, she tweeted, a security guard tailed me on my walk home tonight. He demanded if I lived there. He demanded if I lived there because you look suspicious. I showed my keys and buzzed myself into my building. He left. No apology. This is the reality of black girls. One day you're an icon and the next day you're a threat. So yeah, sometimes being black is is hard. And especially being a black girl in America. Because where you have one oppressor, one common oppressor by being black, you have another one by being a woman as well. So I was trying to brainstorm and think about how I wanted to start this episode and if I wanted this to be the first one, the formatting and how to write this and how to word it right. And um, I came to a few conclusions, but none of them seemed quite right to um, show just and to express just how hard it can be to be black, but um, on an opposite spectrum, just how beautiful it can be as well. So um, the first conclusion I came to when thinking about how to begin this episode is I was trying to find words and adjectives and phrases and pictures and images and movies and music to really portray what being black is. And um, I couldn't find anything that really was a central view. So I started praying and doing what I do and watching sermons and I came to one singular conclusion, and that is that just like God just is, black just kind of is. It's so many different things that it's kind of hard to put a defined label on. I mean, you could be a superstar, but you could also be poor, and you could also be having a great life, and you could also be just struggling to go about the next day. I mean, we're powerful and so broken at the same time, and with all of those different things, it's kind of hard to just be like, black is just beautiful. It's just powerful and it's just great. But all the time, it's not. It gets really frustrating to me um, to watch those different movies, Mom. As you know, we watched the um, Biggie documentary yesterday, which mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed. But it gets really difficult to watch those um, movies over and over and over because it almost is like the same narrative being portrayed over and over and over we see someone often someone very young who is on fire doing something they really love something they really are passionate about and then all of a sudden their life is done and um we saw that in the case of um chairman fred hampton and judas and the black messiah which i mentioned and that was a really monumental movie in my research and it's kind of started the ball rolling again and um we know, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. and um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, all of which were men who were on fire and passionate about something. And because of 
few people felt that they were a threat. They had to have their lives ultimately ended. And um, from there, I began thinking about how frustrating it is to understand or be under the understanding that I can do whatever I want to as long as it fits in this perimeter. And if it doesn't, then I'm at risk of getting everything taken away from me, even my life. And um, so that's where my research stopped for a bit because I found myself getting really frustrated, as I'm sure most people would, when you are under that understanding that, you know, anything could be taken just because, because people don't agree. Um, so from there, I w- was really at a, a halt. I didn't know where to go, didn't really know what to do with this. I was like, there's so many things, so many people, so many voices, so many stories that I could go with, but none of them were really ringing quite right. And it was yesterday that I realized that all the stories, all the things were right in front of me the whole time. I was pulling and fishing for things that I didn't think I had, but they were right here. And um, that brings me to eighth grade in my science teacher's class. Um, And that was when the Colin Kaepernick uprising was beginning, I believe. Um, And every single day at the beginning of class, we had to start by the Pledge of Allegiance. And I... And a couple of my other friends, which I'm sure they're like, ah, I forgot about that. But we all decided that we were going to sit instead of stand for the Pledge of Allegiance in um, in agreement with Colin. And we did that a couple times. It passed for a couple weeks. My teacher would give us little, okay, what is y'all doing? But it passed for a couple weeks. And then um, one day she pulled us to the side and she says, if y'all do this again, you're going to get in serious trouble. She didn't outline to us what that trouble was, but we were all under the understanding that, okay, we're going to get suspended, so maybe we should just stand. Um, and when I was thinking about this now, it made me think about, you know, when we go to these different museums and um, go to these different opportunities, the common question usually is, do you think you'd be able to do that? And oftentimes, you know, in my young rebelliousness, I would be like, oh, yeah, I'll be out there marching and and yeah, I would be down with the cause, down with the people. But, you know, when I was looking at it, thinking about how the opportunity was actually presented to me and I was like, "Mm, okay, I think I want to stay in school. It became very real to me that these are the stories that we need to tell. Um, And it became very uncomfortable to me to tell that story. But I realized very quickly that the conversations that we've been having in America following the um, murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, they get to a place where they're uncomfortable and then we're kind of like, okay, that's enough. We can't go that far. We can't, you know, we're going to offend somebody. But really that's where we need to begin to push, push, push. Because in track, you know, they tell us when things get hard and when it starts to hurt, that's when you really got to continue to push, 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 or you're going to lose. So from that perspective, when it gets really hard and it gets really uncomfortable, that's when we have to begin to really dig in or we're going to be here having the same series, 10 series down the line, having these same conversations. And so that's why I wanted to have this series and that's why I wanted to continue here 
Because this, I feel, is the time to have these uncomfortable conversations while it's starting to simmer down, while we're starting to not say Brianna's name, while we're not starting continuing to say George's name and Philando's name and Tamir's name and all the other names. We're not saying those names anymore. And this is the time when we have to act and not sit still and wait for someone else to get killed because then we're going to be back in the same boat months later. And so that's why I am having this story of my life series, because in a way, my life is directly connected to yours and yours is directly connected to mine. We're all part of a greater narrative. And so it's up to us to continue to rewrite these stories. Um, And my hope is that from this series, you Go out and tell the story of your life and you go out to tell the story of your life and you tell the story of your life and you tell the story of your life and not only yours, but you tell in your story. I hope you tell the story of their lives as well and their lives as well. And for those who cannot tell their story. So here I'm today with someone who makes up a great part of my story, as you guys remember from the first series, the Chase My Dream series, Chase Your Dream series, my apologies. Um, my mom, who is my radical woman, she's the one that put me on to all of the history, um, the one who really um, cultivated my love of history and the um, importance of history in my in my brother's lives, as we talked briefly about in the um, first episode. So first, thank you for being here with me today. I know it was quite a surprise, but I knew you were up for the challenge. Yeah, always, always. Yeah, my ride or die. So you have a few questions for me. I do. And we can get into those. I'm going to give you the mic. You can go for it. I love having the mic and you're on the other end. I know you do and I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think as you were mentioning, we we learn so much about hearing each other's stories, Mm -hmm. right? So it is important and it's impactful at the same time because when we realize other people's strides in life, other people's hurdles, other people's challenges, A, it really makes us more alike than we are different. Amen. I think that it's equally important, especially as people of color, that we are represented more than we are perhaps in in some of the textbooks or... In the common media. In the common media, And so these conversations happen, and yes, they die down, but like, I'm so proud of you um, from a mom standpoint, but from a black woman's standpoint. I mean, the name of the podcast subtitle is A Black Girl's Movement, and you're doing that, and you're not just sitting on the sidelines and waiting on something to happen. You are, you know, doing it. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. (laughs) So I applaud you for... You know, you said I was radical, but I really think you've taken it a notch up uh, past me only because I see so many creative genes flowing. And not only are they flowing, but they're spewing from every part of you. And what that's doing is allowing other young ladies, especially of color, we've seen it. We've seen, you know, them in both races, but specifically we're speaking about women of color today. And we've just seen others, whether young, old, or in between, just come to us and to you 
and say, you know, because of Chase, I've started my business or because of Chase, she gives me, you know, the push that I needed to be brave and say some things that I wouldn't have said before. So that is, you know, all in all what I think you're trying to do and what you are actually doing. So today, us continuing the conversation so that it does not lie. Dormant is so important Mm -hmm. because we keep seeing this um, over and over again where, you know, we really are on fire and with Black Lives Matter and it is the protest, whether whether they are perhaps demonstrations or not, um, demonstrations, (laughs) (laughs) whether they are that or not, we just see how this happens over and over but you made it clear to us in the beginning of your journey with your podcast, you know, before the conversation even starts, it's done. So we need yeah. to continue to change the narrative, but actually see some movement. So with that, I'll say, I just learned about you and your little radicalism in the classroom. I did not know. Okay, I well. didn't know that. <laughs> I don't know how I was supposed to come up and say, well, mom, I'm at risk of getting suspended because I want to sit and be black power. I can't tell you that. How am I supposed to tell you? Well, you were supposed (laughs) to just say it because I think that I would have understood it. I think that, you know, I think it is ways in which we can create change. And I don't know, you know, if... You know, we talk about the history and where you saw the John Lewis's and you saw the Coretta Scott Kings and you just saw just so many people that were radical. I'm going to keep using that word, but they were. And they chose to make a decision when they went to protest. They knew that they would be arrested or harmed or their homes would possibly be bombed. And generations like today, you know, we talk about all that we can do and how tough we are, but really... Yeah, because uh, uh. when it when it comes to it, they would have put my picture in that um <laughs> nope in the little newspaper. I'd be like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll see y'all in Mexico or something because I yeah. can't stay here. Yeah, and so we learned, you know, about these people and why are they in the history books? But I know why they mm-hmm. had courage. They stood for something, and, and they were I, willing to die for it. And they I think were that willing is, to die. Um, something that we lack. We do. I think that uh, uh, back then it was a lot more for the people. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that did stand out to me a lot in the Judas and the Black Messiah movie, which I'll probably reference a lot throughout this series, so get used to it and watch it and everything like that. But um, one thing that I noticed that pretty much any scene that they were in, any scene, whether he was with his um, girlfriend whether he was with the people, whether he was by himself, it was always, this is for the people, this is for the people, this is not me, this is for the people, this is for the people, and that was the thing. And even at, towards the end when they were encouraging him, they said, Fred, you know, it's it's about to be the end. You know, they're coming, they're getting close. You need to get up and you need to go somewhere. He was like, while y'all are doing this for me, what about the clinic for the people? Um, and I think that's something that we kind of lack as a as this newer generation, it's more, well, what can I do for me? What right. can I get right. for me? If I'm out here in these streets, like, will they take a picture of me? Right. Cause, and that's the thing, like, thinking about how back then, if your picture was in that paper, that might be like a, that is like a death, a death sentence. sentence in a way. Yeah. And now it's like, well, if my picture's not in the paper, then I'm not 
gonna yeah. go because people need to see that I'm out here I'm doing this and that was very clear and that's one thing that so frustrated me with that um black screen thing on Instagram Twitter and Facebook I was like okay so y'all posted a black screen thanks for the support but what are you gonna do from here yeah because a lot of people that first week um a lot of people were like oh this is outrageous they put that they put his neck they put his um knee in his neck and they they killed that woman and her oh oh, it's just outrageous but i'm like this is like not new and then right from here it's like you post your black screen, you post all the screenshots, and you say their name one time, and then it's like, okay, I did my part for right. society. I contributed. So now y'all see that I'm for the people. I'm not I'm not a racist. I posted that black screen. Oh, I'm not a racist. I love black women. I even go to bed. I wear a bonnet at night because mm-hmm. my hair is curly, too. Yeah. We're all down for the cause. But I'm like, have you really, like, got out and gone to the protest like have you really educated yourself about people that you did not know did you go and engulf yourself and what it is not just black culture but what it really is to be black like well let's talk about it hold on let's talk about it. we're on a roll let's talk about (laughs) it what is what is what are you talking about for those who don't know what for those who are wondering in this moment, why are they rehashing this again? Why is the journey different for you than it is for a young woman that is white, that is your age? What is the difference? I mean, you live in a, 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 a nice suburb. neighborhood. and We talk and, about how the school has three gyms, I think, yeah, close to. Two or three gyms, yeah. And why is it different? It's different for me because when somebody sees me, they don't see where I live. They don't, they barely even see what I have on. They see the color of my skin and they base their assumptions. Like we talked about um, with Landon, they base their assumptions and they create these predetermined stereotypes. And one thing that's so frustrating is as a race, it's said a lot, but we don't have any positive stereotype, like none, you know, um, now this might get me canceled but it it is what it is we have to get uncomfortable but I mean even Asians sometimes even though they do have those bad stereotypes as well at least they can be smart you know at least um Hispanic people at least Hispanic people can be hard workers at least they can be we can be robbers we can be drug dealers we can be strung out on drugs we can be rappers or teachers or and these and the rappers, teachers, and entertainers, don't get me wrong, they're important, um, but we can be more. Like, there's never, like, a positive connotation. Even when, you know, we were younger and I would make jokes with my black friends, it would always be, well, y'all, your mama is this, and all oh, your your girl is that, and it would never be positive. We'd never joke about anything positive because that's all we know. We never... Even though we see the Beyonce's, we see the Rihanna's, we see the um, congresswomen, congressmen that are going out and doing these great things, it's greatly overshadowed by the negatives. And some of that, I will say, is not only white people's fault. I mean, even though the people from the past put us in this predicament, 
we it is our responsibility as a culture to constantly be striving to change make, the narrative. Yeah, change the narrative not only for them because mm-hmm. really I could really care less, but for ourselves. Like if I feel it's a certain responsibility on myself to represent for myself number one and for my culture because if i don't then who will you Mm -hmm. know i do and i think that's the difference from a white person or a white young girl who is my age as well even though we might be the same age we might even live in the same neighborhood but i know that once both of us walk out of this neighborhood it's going to be two different things you could walk by the police i can't Mm -hmm. you could walk into wherever you want i can't there's a, already a predetermined, before I even walk in the room, once I check that box that I'm African-American, there's already a predetermined stereotype on myself that you don't have. And there's already a, a block in front of me that you don't have. And there's already, and as an African-American woman, there's two things that you don't have to deal with that I have to deal with. So for you, as a white person, and this is what was really getting to me for you as a white person to settle for posting a picture a black screen and say blackout tuesday and that is really what you think is enough i'm out here every single day just by waking up in the morning risking my life just by being black and you think that posting a black screen is enough yeah like that's frustrating it was was a you know, it was a hoorah moment, I think, as a nation, everybody saying kumbaya, and then we went back to business to, as usual. Exactly. Because and, more yeah. people were killed after that. We don't talk about those more people because it's not in front of your face. It's That's like right. in America, if things are not right here, it doesn't matter. But that's not how it's not even healthy to continue that way. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I do. Um, In terms of the presidency that just went down unless he was presently in front of their face saying something outrageous it was like well well even when he was in their face saying it they still it was still like well yeah and i'm like if after the display that went down at the um capitol on building, january 6th yeah if not, if if someone ever like in life which i'm sure they will say something ignorant to me about black people being whiny or crying about this or we should just let it go like i think i might actually flip my lid because like they walked in there they Mm -hmm. took things they sat down they put their feet on the desk they were like spitting in people's faces moving going up and down running haywire going crazy acting like thugs acting like what you say i am (laughs) and they walked out there half of them walked home and was like well just another day went to work the next day some people turned themselves in eventually but they still went home that same afternoon it was like well it's just a day in the park right but it was people down the street that that were black watching this happen and i'm almost i can bet you that they probably got even looked at weird for even being in that area and years before it came out that there was a woman who was killed for even asking for directions like that is outrageous and then for people to actually say have the audacity to say that Mm -hmm. black people are crying or oh my gosh we've had the same talk for 30 million times we've Mm -hmm. talked about slavery what else do you want what else do what what yeah you know it's that's what i'm talking about being black is 
frustrating at times because it's just like having to always defend myself. I'm always defending myself. If I'm mm-hmm. in an AP class, I have to defend why I'm supposed to be there. And if I don't test well, I'm like, oh, God, this is not going to reflect well. And then I have to defend myself not only to every other culture, but I have to defend myself to my own culture. Because if I live in a suburb or if I speak proper, if I wear this a certain way or if I do this, then I'm not as black as you are. That's frustrating. It's constantly having to go to defense for myself. And then people ask me, well, why do you, why are you so defensive about this? Why are you so this or that way? Why do you feel that way? Would you would feel that way if you were constantly at arms all day? I mean, even when I get all the way home, I'm like, let me make sure this is right. And it's just certain things that you don't have to do that I have to do. Like, one thing for me is working at Chick-fil-A, which I'm grateful for my job. And I love my coworkers to the extent that I love my coworkers. But one thing that I have to do with that they will never have to deal with is looking at hairstyles and thinking, is this going to make me look ghetto? Is this going to make me look this way? Is this going to make me look that way? If I talk like this here, will they judge me this way? If I dress like this here, will they look at me this way? I go to school and I'm around kids who have money on top of money on top of money they live in great big houses and that's great for them but when I'm around them I wonder do they think is she being herself around me or is she being her code switch self because I have to switch based on the place I'm environment at. I have to move and constantly be a chameleon no matter where I'm at and that's something that other people will never understand that's something that you will never have to get because in the morning you wake up, you put on your pants, and you put on your shirt, and I do too, but I have to wonder, is this going to make me look a certain type of way? Mm-hmm. Is this going to put me in a position to get killed for my life to be over? And when my brother walks out the door, oh yeah, as he gets older, I'm like, is this going to make him look this way? Even when he has his hood up, I have to tell myself, I got to tell him to put his hood down just in case. It's, just in case. You are nailing it because I think you are helping others to understand, Chase, you know, the life in which we live and we don't get to turn it off. That's the thing. Ever. Ever. Even in our own homes, Brianna. I'm not going to say it. Brianna. I'm not going to. Even in our own homes, you know, you know, you just never quite get it because it's not your world and we get that. But I remember the other day when you came to me and you had a shift and you had to go out to a car, and I think it was. You correct me if I'm wrong, and you were like, hi, how are you? And the, and nice, gent, the nice gent did not speak to you. He was like, here, gave you the money so you could, am I right? So you could get transaction, and then one of your counterparts handed the food, if I'm right. Yeah. It was like, well, hi there. Howdy, how are you, girl? Like they've known each other forever. And they didn't. And they sure didn't. And so those type of things, you know, I always equate it to being in the boxing ring for us. That's what I tell y'all. It's like we got to bob and weave all the time. Sometimes it's just not that one knockout that causes the fight to be over. It's just like the constant, the constant having to take it. Boom, smile, boom, boom, do this over and over. And so we are now with this conversation, very hopeful. I know it sounds like God is this dark and this is a heavy conversation, but it is also 
a piece of the story that we have to tell because some people may not get it otherwise. Some people may not ever understand what it is as a parent to go into a school to have to advocate for your child because they are of color. It is clear to me that parents of all races are concerned about their children. But one thing that I noticed that I have to fight for, that your father has to fight for, that we are very are uh, attentive to it are the professors and the teachers that you all get. Now, it's getting a little tricky because you're taking some college courses, and, and I don't have that voice, but I have to trust that you have the voice to say, wait a minute, something is not right and speak up for yourself. But the challenges even in our educational system for people of color, and I say that without hesitancy because a lot of times there are some some other races, but our uh, African-American population is heavily impacted um, by the fact that a lot of the resources are simply not there, not put in front of them. And not going to be unless someone says something about it. Yeah, we have to change the narrative. I think, you know, we were having the conversation offline about, um, you know, it is it is in the best interest for a lot of people that people remain in the past, that people remain poor, that people remain in poverty. It makes a lot of rich people richer when these situations occur. So we have to ask, you know, are these situations on purpose that the poor schools systems um, or the poor schools that they don't see as much advancement, that they don't have the two gyms, that they don't have, you know, Apple computers, even though, you know, a lot of the public schools do not, but it is judged heavily on the testing. But if you are drawing a scenario where you live in a heavily, uh, populated area where it's poverty. And so the expectation is this, Chase, I think. What they're drawing <laughs> and hoping we don't say, mm. perhaps, is that these kids... for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think people are, you know, aware more so than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it is worth reminding people that, you know, the testing has a big impact on how funds are received for each school. So why that's important to you, everyone knows that you're a multi-layered lady, and if they don't, they need to read your story, because I can never tell it or celebrate it enough. But we went into this COVID-19 world where we saw evidence of so many kids that were not receiving you know, the necessaries that they needed to thrive in a in a virtual world. Many of our kids that have everything, such as, you know, the proper um, laptops and the access to the Internet, they were having a problem. So imagine not um, knowing. So this does not reflect the demographic of African-Americans only. But we just saw it this week in the news where 7,000 Guilford County students are still undocumented. We don't know where they are. And a big part of that is because they don't have laptops or they may not be aware of all the new changes that are happening. But we have 7,000 kids that we don't know where they are. Did they move? Did they, what happened? But what we did, what I, what I was getting to is as a nonprofit, your nonprofit, Chase's Chance, you saw a need and you reached out for help. 
And what the whole goal was, if I'm correct, Chase, is that we got new laptops and tablets in the hands of as many students as possible. We were not, you know, telling people if they were of another race, but we had majority um, African-Americans that reached out to us. We were able to supply. We're on number 65, I think, and, um, and we're working to try to get as many as possible exactly it's hard it is very hard but the whole goal here is we firmly believe that if we can get these tools in the hands of these students and get them what they need to be exposed to a better situation in education we know that's a big piece of this puzzle then they can help change the narrative right. that we're seeing. They're saying that we're drug dealers, but we have to beg the question, why are they choosing that life? We have to ask, why are we seeing so many young mothers um, that are that are pregnant at such a young age? We have to ask these hard questions and try to change, um, what it, not change them, but change their surroundings and change the possibilities for them. Otherwise, we are going to be here again and and approaching the same level of of need as we were six months, a year ago, what have you. But how do we move forward? And I think that's why, again, this conversation is important. And I know that this is a question that you ask regularly, but what do you see, Chase, happening How do you think, first of all, we can start in the educational system to reshape how we're looking at funding? And then how can we look internally at ourselves to help change the story for so many students who may not otherwise have the resources? Mm. As far as the funding, I... I really, I'm not sure. When you look at other countries, the way that they're set up, um, I think you and my grandpa were talking about it earlier, but um, other countries allocate a dedicated budget to education, and that is because it's a priority in that country. Um, You know, we talk about Germany and um, China and all of these other countries, quote-unquote, taking jobs, but it's because they're more educationally prepared to do so. And that is because their country, their leaders understand and know that education is the way to progress their country. Um, So the first thing we would have to do as a country is devote funding, like a set funding for educational systems all across America. Um, the next thing we would have to do is reevaluate our curriculum. Um, from my perspective as a student, as long as I've been a student, um, we talk about Black History Month, but I have never remembered us having any other months like highlighted um, in terms of like the Asian Pacific Islander. I think I'm saying that right, but um, they have their own History Month and the this is funny, but I found out about it on Disney Channel. That's literally how I found out that they had a month. Um, there's months for other all of these other um, disenfranchised groups, mm-hmm. um, but we don't talk about those groups because it's not part of the curriculum. 
but I find it absolutely mad that we can devote a whole year in in terms of some certain courses we can devote two whole semesters to talk about white history like white people are the only people that you know had some kind of contribution to this mm-hmm. um evolving world mm-hmm. I mean as um Angela Rye said black people built this joint for free yeah <laughs> I mean we basically built this joint for free and um you know you have your Hispanics who are greatly in these positions that no other people want to claim such mm-hmm. as being janitors and things like that um you have these Asian groups that are greatly and these are stereotypes of course but they are greatly populating those tech and science stem heavy areas that are making waves for us mm-hmm. like i mean i just don't understand how we can't devote a a month a full month to uplifting these groups well they're going to say you get the month of february February is the shortest month. <laughs> and then even during that month, we talk about the same people, the same people. And um, even going back and you can speak to this a little bit more because I know this is your um your area of expertise. But even as far as I remember, you know, we talk about all the time, every single year, just about when it was Black History Month in school, we went to Woolworths, went home. That was it. That was it. Well, that's and more that's, than what we got, though. I know. So but appreciate that. I appreciate it, and I do, and I love hearing the story, but you know that there are, like, a number of places in Greensboro that are that were part of this movement, like going mm-hmm. to Bennett College. Do you know if students were just able to go and see Bennett College, we probably wouldn't have even had that fun for Bennett College if people were able to go there and see it, mm-hmm. if people were able to go like go to A&T and see it as more than a place where you it's ghetto and you might get killed and because that is greatly the stereotype, stereotype that I hear from my um, peers when you go to A&T oh it's ghetto and it's around all these black people it's in the hood and oh you might get killed but when you're able to go there and see the oh, four the man magic. statue and you're able to see the stem and see what actually comes from A&T then you're like, okay, well, maybe this ain't that bad. This ain't bad at all. You know, they have a great program and, and many programs. Um, and, and I think what you're saying, Chase, you're hitting on something because I think like you're saying, the it is important to get to know what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do with this conversation yeah. because some people – they simply don't know. I know that, you know, I don't expect you to wake up every day but I th- and, and say, oh, let me go meet some black person. What I'm saying is <laughs> I think that it humanizes us yeah. because the out the gate, we're having to change um, maybe some opinions, but a lot of it is based in the educational system because mm-hmm. the first thing you may see is a slave. Is a slave with some... But before Cotton. we were slaves, we were in Africa. Right. So what were we doing there? Right. Like, let's learn about that. Let's, let's, yeah, it's a big conversation. And so what it does is it causes people to, like you said, I put my pants on the same way you do. You know, my parents go to work. They're honest. You know, they, we all go to church and we have loving communities. And, and as you know, I've always known I have like had an unfair advantage too, because I grew up in a scenario that is not talked about. 
and and which is we grew up in a family that was close knit that the cousins we all got together at grandma's and we all played together and you know we're just you know a family and so that blows some people's minds that we actually you know have these type of lives it is so far fetched right. and the whole point of history US history world history And what we're getting at is let's open the window, if you will, to consider introducing all pieces of the history. We know that it's uncomfortable, but guess what? Y'all are getting it anyway because y'all get it before we do with with social media. And and you can see things on TikTok and, and YouTube and the world news is 24 hours now. So you guys are getting it. And so what is important to me is that you know, the Landons and the ones that will come after him, you're introduced to a body of people that are not just slaves. You know, we were inventors. We were not only inventors, but we owned properties that were burned down. But that's a whole other series. That's a whole other series. And so you Mm -hmm. have to understand why the conversation continues. Did you even know that we had towns in which we were fluent? Did you know that one vibrant town was right here in Greensboro, North Carolina? And so we have to open the window and we have to do it at a pace. But like you said in the Dr. King speech, we we are a timeout for the gradualism. We have to now say, okay, who are making the decisions? And what I think is a big Mm -hmm. missing piece is the voice of the youth. Y'all get it much better than us old heads do. You are more open-minded and you receive things a lot better. What I love is you all are in a, a, a true melting pot when you're in these schools, but how can we really change how it looks? I know the fiber of the country is off center it has been. It always has been. I don't think really, Chase, if you didn't ask me, but I don't know that we will ever quite get it right. I think only Jesus. <laughs> and that's what I, that's what I think, too. I don't Jesus. think we'll ever. But, I, but think I think we can make efforts that we can make efforts because I don't like the fact that I have to automatically be on, you know, the prowl. Because I am and I will be until I close my eyes because I'm a mom, number one. But I see the unfairness where as you, you know, you're a smart chick. I know you're a smart chick, right? But you were quickly being identified when in elementary that you were not capable of. And if you ever want to see a different part (laughs) of me, tell me who y'all ain't and you will get something much different that we will reserve that we for another day it. too it was part of poppy's um temper <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna blame it on poppy yeah. you're right but i think that you know it is just very important for people to understand who everyone is i think we should give ourselves permission to do that because it is everywhere that we face these prejudices and i think that whether it is when we go to the hospital, whether we go to the doctor, I had to tell my doctor he was floored. He was like, what? I said, yeah, when I walk in your your office, it's a predominantly, you know, white. I get that. I'm usually the only black, maybe one or other two. 
I see the old ladies clutch their purses. He said, what? I said, do you think we're making this up? I said, come out there and stand. <laughs> but anyway, we we see so much. We just learn to sort of bob and weave. But it comes a time in which you have to understand, lady, I don't want your purse. I don't like jail. You know, I know what they think. Yeah. But we have to begin to have an appreciation for each other. But it starts with getting to know each other. I think, you know, you ask about in our young days, how were things? And they were, they were cool, you know, but I think that a lot of it was Martinsville sort of, it had its, had its up and downs and each school had its culture. But one thing that my parents and grandparents, especially my grandpa, (laughs) one thing he made sure of, he knew we knew who we were. He, he listened, listen, was, it was nobody that topped his grandkids, nobody. And so when you have that elevated state of mind, I didn't care what anybody said about me because I knew that I had my family. So y'all, you and Landon may not understand all that is being, you know, invested in you now. That's why we're talking about understanding each other. Because some kids don't have that support. But a girl walking down the, you know, you know, walking down the street may see a young person of color and might extend a hand. She don't have to be necessarily scared. You know, the same stuff they're scared of, we We probably scared of too. too. (laughs) (laughs) So we just want to open the door to have an appreciation for each other. Yeah. That's that's all we're saying. Yeah, I think the like you said, I think the main um, task at hand is to humanize. So yes. that would be basically what we're trying to do. What I'm trying to do with this series is to humanize. So then when you see Landon, you don't think, oh, he's only a basketball player. And he going in the store to steal oh, something. Yeah, he's that's another steal. one. He got his head up. He got I mean, his hood up. So he's definitely up to something no good. Yeah. And then when you see poppy you don't think all oh, he was probably doing this and that back in the day he was probably no 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 he's probably never doing even, that now right never even mentioning that you know he is a vietnam yeah, veteran that right. caused you to have the freedoms that you have today right so we have to get to know each other mm-hmm. i think that's a big step and then in schools Y'all are having all these boardroom meetings, but are you inviting the students in? And they may be, maybe we don't know about it. But And that's part of the problem. problem. <laughs> I told you, I love promo. I love good promo. And that's what we were talking about yesterday, or one day, we were talking about how um, Chief James is having these board meetings. Um, and we are having these meetings with um, Sharon Contreras, and we're having these meetings, but I'm like, where was it at? How would I know? Yeah. You're having these meetings with people. I'm going to say this in defense because I follow the devil's advocate. I am devil's advocate because I'm a mom. So I would pay attention to more of that stuff. But I really have seen a big uptick in police communication since Chief James has been at the realm. I'm not saying that for any specific reason. I just see him all over the place. And I appreciate it. I'm not saying, like, it's bad. Like, I don't see him, so I know he's not doing nothing. I mean, I because I know he's doing stuff, but I think that there 
probably needs to be more connection with maybe someone who's younger who is maybe more apt to go on social media and and really start promoting these things because you know if you don't follow it you don't know mm-hmm. and just based on the common knowledge that I have on police what I see police doing I'm not gonna go out of my way to follow right. and what I see what's happening in schools I'm not going to go out of my way to follow it. If I'm just a regular, everyday human being, I'm not, you know, I'd rather just follow the rappers and know what they're doing. But you know what I'm saying? But why? That's a good question. Why would you put concentrations on something that doesn't directly affect you? Because these people directly affect you. I know. And that's just weird. But that's just what I think. When I see the police, I'm like, I'd rather just not. Mm, I don't want to be really in your space. Yeah. And but, I don't want you really but to be mine. But I think that's part of actually humanizing them and, you know, hearing is. what don't we understand. If we're talking to Superintendent Contreras, what don't we understand? Because clearly there's a disconnect. disconnect or a miscommunication somewhere. So where is it at? So tell me what I need to know and I'll tell you what you need to know. And then from there, we can start to create these um, connections and um, relationships that go further than social media. So then we can actually, you know, when things open up, we can actually start being a part, marching together, seeing these mm-hmm. people who represent us. And I guess that also goes back to knowing who represents us because I did not know who one of our representatives was. I was like, I don't even know how some of this works. Um, but knowing who represents us, yes. And then also being an active part of this conversation, so we do need that's why we do need those um young people being out in the streets talking to people working working working. I well, mean, that's what you're doing. I know, but we need more. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do everything. <laughs> I can't be everywhere. <laughs> but we need more. And I also think that there are some, but maybe we just don't take the time to magnify them enough. Yeah, cuz we we do. We have to take ownership of some things in order to bring change and we have to make it a point of our day just like we go to research the latest stylist or fashionistas or whatever is is popular it's Mm -hmm. very fun but if we want to bring change we got to be in the ear of the people that can actually do it and I do see you know that conversation happening more and more but I know that there's room for us to grow Definitely. I agree. I feel like there's room for us to grow on all fronts. And I, one thing that I really wish we would have had um, during school when these things were going on or when we came back or, you know, whenever, I wish we actually would have had a chance to have like a town hall and really talk about it. I'm sure there were some clubs that met off on the side. Um, but truth be told, I really don't know all the clubs that go on in my school. And that is partly my fault because I don't really research because I don't have the time. But um, I wish that there was like a outreach, something that they did, you know, because um, I think there was a questionnaire I had to fill out concerning how I felt about the school year with COVID. But I was like, really, right now, COVID is the least of my concerns because mm-hmm. um, I think it was. I don't remember who it was, but someone, it was a newscaster, and he said it was two pandemics going down right now. And it almost felt like the people who were, even though, you know, this year, of course, I was with my family most of the time. But in most years before, I'm usually at school more than I'm even with y'all. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, for the people who are in charge of shaping me and 
kind of making me into the person that I'm going to be. I mean, in your description in the educational system, they say we're in the business of making well, intelligent, well-prepared students and well-prepared citizens, rather. So talk to me about really, like, how do I feel about this? Because really, I don't feel like doing schoolwork. If I'm worried about when I leave this house, when the COVID lets up, that I can walk out and I might still get killed. Like, I'm not... Those are things that affect me, that really affect my education. So you asked, like, what are some things we could do to improve? I'm like, there are things that right now are bigger than education to me. You know what I mean? That are I'm thinking past what happens when I leave high school. I'm thinking about when I leave college and I might be away from my family. I might be away from my home that I know what's going to happen then. How am I going to navigate this then? And from a... um. African-American standpoint, I think that it's a stereotype that we're always mad or angry. And, you know, those who know me and you know that I'm pretty, I can get irritated really fast and I can go when I need to go. But I know that I've had people that show me in my life that show me how to be angry. It's okay to be angry, but let me show you how to navigate this. But there are so many kids who don't have that support at home, which we also have to ask why that is. But and they don't know how to be angry. They just are like, okay, well, I'm mad, so let me just da 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 da, and then that just continues this whole big cycle. So talk to me about how I can be mad at the country that I live in productively. Show me how I can protest. Show me how I can write to a senator or write mm-hmm. to my people mm-hmm. and show me who my people are to write to. Show me how I can vote. Show me how I can vote. Show me how I can vote because you're telling me <laughs> to vote. But I'm like, if I ain't never been in a voting booth before, how am I going to know what to do? Right. Um. Show me how to meditate. Show me how to pray. Show me how to go out and write papers. Show me how. Just show me how. Like, it's not like I feel like the plot period is do it yeah I feel like a lot of times we're just like respect black people love black people you know black lives matter how how do I show you know and that's one thing I was guilty of too because you know I was talking to you and I was like yeah white people should do more but they shouldn't do this and they should you know but I'm like they're probably asking me like okay so what am I supposed to do what what am I supposed to do Mm -hmm. and to be true truthful I don't really know because I'm just like I really like I'm I don't know but there are great community leaders that need to now, like, we see what's gone on. We know that we've protested. So what do we do from here and mm-hmm. how do we do it? You tell me that I need to protest. You tell me I need to vote. You tell me I need to learn my people. Tell me I need to go here and do this, look this up and watch this. School, and make straight A's. Yep. But how? <laughs> <laughs> tell me how. And I think um, that's our three things. I think that the first thing we need to do is humanize each other, look at each other and be like, you are no more than I am and I am no more than you are. We are equal. No matter if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're black, if you're white, if you're Asian, if you're red, yellow, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, with humanizing, I think the important thing is not I don't see color. I don't see sexuality. I don't see gender, but I see you and I accept you and I understand you you know or I'm starting to if I don't understand right, yet right and then from there how how do we start making these changes how would you like me to address you how would you like to be called how would you how do you think I could be better as a person when addressing you how do you think I can make you more comfortable in your skin how do you think we can move forward how do you think the police can do better how do you think the educational system can do better how can black people do better in our own community how can white people do better how can we do better 
So I think humanizing and then the how is the most important things that we need in order to move forward. I don't think we'll ever be kumbayaing around the world and hands in a circle joined mm-hmm. together with a fire going, but I think that'll at least make some very um, powerful steps forward. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually run as a as a functioning, civilized country, because right now we don't look too civilized having governors and senators but whatever but (laughs) I think once we are able to do that then we can start getting these officials and getting these people who really need to be running in those offices in order to create active change because um I think AOC it was she was saying that yeah we're working as hard as we can but we also have people that are really pushing to make their point heard I can't do everything right so y'all have to elect people who you think are going to actually help me. If you, this is the cause you want me to fight for, you need to have people in here to help me because I'm not going to, I can't just stand up and be like, it is so. Right. Like, I'm not the president. Not I can't just works. do that. Well, the president can't either, yeah, really. he can't. But I just don't have that much power. So I need y'all to come out and help. So now how? So now how? A few things, and then I know we're wrapping we up. Are. We are really wrapping <laughs> we up. Are. We could go on for days, we but could. we're going to stop. Um, you know, you said, you know, look at me as equal. And that struck me because I'd never know exactly, Chase, how to do that. Because you've given me the um, pleasure of working with you in your nonprofit. And we see some disparities that a lot of people who don't close their eyes to it also see. We see a lot of stumbling blocks. We see a lot of things, as you mentioned earlier in the conversation, the blocks that are before us. That's what we are going to have to change. We're going to have to work towards um, minimizing the losses where it comes to black lives. That means us, too. That means that we're going to have to minimize what we will accept and we're going to have to also hear from the people in power that says, hey, they're right. They walk into the job, same level, if not more, education, but they're getting paid much yes. less. You know, it, we could go on, but move the stumbling blocks so that we can be equal. Yeah. So really just making sure that the race is that everybody starts fairly. Yeah. It has a starting a starting point that's the same. That's the issue. You mentioned track. Yeah. Let's start on the same starting line. Mm-hmm. So but how do we get there, right? Yeah. How? That's the how. Um, so thank you for coming on. I knew we would be up for the challenge having our conversations like we do in the kitchen and I'm really excited for where this um series is gonna go from here because there are a lot of very um, important conversations that need to be had. So thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Um, We'll be back next week. And until then, um, this has been your host, Chase Clark and her wonderful mom, Selena. Selena Barksdale Clark. (laughs) Oh, wait, soon to be published author. We said that last time, but we have to say it again because, yeah. So get ready for that book in May. All right. Until next time, this is your host, Chase Clark, and I'll see y'all next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Renaissance Project, a Black Girls Movement. Want to join the combo? 
contact me via Instagram at the Renaissance P R J C T, or you can email me at the Renaissance P R J T at gmail.com. If you feel led to donate, you can do so by sending your funds to dollar sign Chase AC7 on Cash App. It is not required, but definitely encouraged. That's all from me. I hope to see you next Thursday. Until then, be well.